0: Welcome to episode 14 of the BMA's podcast where we'll be discussing the Psalms and its place in our Bible reading plan. My name is Anton Brooks and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquam Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the book of Psalms, specifically within the book of Psalms, the first book of Psalms. So real quickly, David, can you catch us up to speed and give us like a, a review on the five books of Psalms?
1: Yeah, so if you read in most English um, Bibles, you'll see that ahead of uh, Psalm 1, there's book 1. Mm -hmm. At the top of Psalm uh, 42, there's book 2. At the top of Psalm uh, 73, there's book 3. At the head of Psalm 90, there's book 4. At the head of Psalm 107, there's book 5. And so it seems that this arrangement of the Psalms is not accidental. Uh, there are many markers of its intentionality. Uh, and this goes back to um, the Septuagint period. This goes back to the time after the exile. So all the manuscripts that we have include this uh, this order in here. There are a few places where it may be slightly different, but basically this is the arrangement that we have mm-hmm. that seemed to have come together when the people of Israel returned from Babylon. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have Psalms in the Psalter uh, from Moses, Psalm 90, all the way to Psalms that recount uh, the exile. So Psalm 126 and Psalm 137 have that. But you notice that those Psalms are not placed chronologically, mm. right? They're, they're placed according to some other organization. Right, yeah. uh, and so I think it's helpful to see the meaning of the Psalms is revealed to us in part uh, through the arrangement that is there. So it's helpful to keep those things in mind.
0: What are some of the key themes in Book 1?
1: Uh, so if you remember, Psalms. 1 through 72 are the primary place where we see the Psalms of David. Mm -hmm. And in Book 1, from Psalm 3 all the way to 41, David's name shows up in the superscription of every Psalm, uh, except for Psalm 10 and for Psalm uh, 33. Mm -hmm. All the other ones, David's name is going to show up there. It doesn't show up in Psalms 1 and 2, probably because that's an introduction to the rest of the entire Psalter. Mm -hmm. We know that David wrote Psalm 2, uh, based upon Acts 2, which references David and Psalm 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's understandable even as you read it because it's speaking about the Son of God who is appointed by God to be his king. It's like, well, that's David, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have all these other psalms. So that's a key theme. So David plays a key role in understanding the Psalter. Not only because he wrote them, but because his identity um, really shapes uh, the storyline of the Psalms. Right, So, David in his historical suffering and then glory, as he's been chased by Saul and it's uncertain of whether or not he will become the king, then he becomes the king, then he falls with Bathsheba, then his kingdom is prolonged, and then he eventually dies. You can see that storyline of David's life from Psalm 3 all the way to Psalm 71, and then Solomon's song in Psalm 72 anticipates the greater glory of Solomon, the son of David, mm-hmm. than David. And then the rest of the story of the Psalter moves from the exile of David and the people of Israel uh, to the promise of God coming and reestablishing his kingdom and the promise of a greater David to come. And so it's helpful just to see that theme of David running through the Psalms as a whole. In Book 1, we also see um, the theme theme of of creation. We see that in Psalm 8 and 19 and 29. Uh, We see the, the focus on Scripture and the Word of God in Psalm 1 and 19. Uh, we will also see um, just themes of suffering that are there and lament. Uh, again, as you move from the beginning to the end of the entire Psalter, we have more lament psalms in the beginning, more praise psalms at the end. And so the whole overarching reading of the psalms should move us from lament to praise, mm. which is just another way that it mirrors the emotional effect of God's salvation in our lives, right. of moving from darkness to light, from death to life, and lament to pray. So those are a few of the themes that we see there.
0: When I'm reading Psalms, you know, I, I recognize that these are songs, mm-hmm. you know, but is there truths that are applicable to our lives in these words, you know, outside of just us singing songs in worship? Are there are things that we can apply and learn from these.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we just go through the entirety of the Psalms, we're going to walk away with a systematic theology full of Right understanding of God, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, we learn about the doctrine of God, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation. I mean, all of those things are found in the Psalms. Um, So, certainly, there is teaching and instruction that is going on there. In fact, even in Colossians, it says Mm -hmm. to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, in part because when we do that, we're instructing one another. But it not only has a way of instructing the mind, but the Psalms also impact the heart, right? Right. And this is why the poetry of the Psalms or the singing of songs is so important because there is an emotional range in the Psalms that widens our heart, right? Mm. For those who are filled with joy, it teaches us also to lament, Right, So that we can suffer with those who are suffering and grieve with those who are grieving. With those who are grieving and and down in despair, it brings promises of God and His faithfulness and praise that is there. So it has a way of enlarging our hearts at the same time. And really, I mean, that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to inform and renew our minds, and He wants to affect our emotions to, to delight in Him.
0: It almost seems like the Psalms, you know, just in my life, in my Christian walk, and talking with other Christians, people refer to the psalms almost in a counseling way. Like it it, it ministers to them. I mean, obviously, it is the Word of God, so the Word of God does minister to us. Mm -hmm. But specifically, people go to the psalms for that reason, you know, seemingly.
1: No, certainly, there's a a place for counseling, soul counseling for yourself, right? Or counseling others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 8 is one of those creation psalms. What can we take away from this?
1: Um, Let's just look at Psalm 8, right? I mean, this is a a psalm, uh, I mean, I can't help but think of the song that we often have sung in church, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? And so it's just a praise psalm for His creation. It's really interesting, it's set apart from all the other psalms. So Psalm 3 through 7, and then Psalm 9 through 14, are all just kind of lament psalms, mm-hmm. David lamenting over his position. But then in the midst of it, we have this incredible song of praise, right. right? And so, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think One of the things we learn there is just God's design for his creation, in particular mankind. Mm. Right. So David, writing this, looking back at the first man, Adam, and he was crowned uh, with glory and honor. And it reminds us that Adam was not just um, a gardener, mm-hmm. he was not just uh, someone to work the earth. He was given dominion over the earth, right? He is a king. Uh, and ultimately, David is going to be a new Adam, right? We talk about um, Adam and the second Adam being Jesus Christ, yeah. which is true. But even that, in the storyline of the Bible, David is going to function as someone who has given dominion over uh, the earth, mm-hmm. right? Just as Adam was, and so here God is, um, uh, David is praising God for this to Adam, and uh, ultimately we're going to see how this applies in David's life too.
0: So Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 are really similar. Is there a reason for this?
1: So one habit that I've just begun to develop through the years of just reading the Bible is that when I see something that repeats, um, I begin to go back and to see what's in between. One of the things that we learn from reading Mm -hmm. the Bible is that there often is a chiastic structure in the Bible, um, which simply means it's kind of concentric circles moving into the middle. And I think we find that in the Psalter as well. Um, And so in this case, Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 are talking about the hill of the Lord who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and there are two instructions that are given for the qualifications uh, for those who can can, uh, approach the hill of the Lord. What's interesting then is that in the middle of these Psalms, we come to a victory psalm of of God um, working victory for David, David giving praise for that at the time of Saul, so we have a little historical note there at the beginning of Psalm 18. Psalm 19 talks about the word of God. Um, the Word of God, which uh, would have been given on a hillside mm-hmm. if they are thinking are just the mountains of the Lord. Um, so I think it's just helpful when we see structurally things repeating to just kind of read them together yeah. and not just say, oh, it's just kind of coincidental that mm-hmm. those things are there. Uh, I mean, ultimately, Psalm 1524 gives us the theme of like, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And the truth is that when you look at those qualifications in those verses, those don't apply to me. Those right. things are not things that I have done, Right. Um, but they are uh, ways that I'm to conduct myself as I walk by faith uh, in the one who has done those things. So oftentimes we talk about the Psalms as being a book that identifies and helps us to see Christ. right? And that's because Christ is the son of David, but it also is going to describe this righteous one who has walked according to the law of God. And when we read that, say, that's not me, Mm -hmm. but that's Jesus. And because I've trusted in Him, and I'm in Him by faith in Him, well, then these are the ways that I'm to conduct myself, right? And so they do apply to me, but again, always and only through the Lord.
0: Amen. So Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. Everybody's familiar. It starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It is often quoted at funerals, at hospital beds. Is there anything we can miss by reading it alone?
1: Yeah, uh, a couple years ago, um, Rod Fillinger, one of our elders, preached a message on Psalm 23 Mm -hmm. and 22 and 24, Uh, right? And when we read them together, here's what we find. It's amazing. Psalm 22 is that passage, um, that psalm that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Mm. right? Uh, Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? So Jesus quotes that, right, Um, as he's on the cross. Uh, And by the end of that psalm, it moves from the suffering that Jesus has experienced. And some of the words are incredibly prophetic Mm -hmm. of what Jesus experienced on the cross. But it's also an experience that David had. Right? So these are things that David experienced. And then the greater David experienced them in greater ways. Mm. Right? And so God in his providence created a David in all the circumstances in his life so that he could write these psalms such that a greater David could come and fulfill Mm. them in greater ways. But the movement of Psalm 22 moves from the suffering of this righteous king uh, to his glory, right? And the resurrection even, or just the raising of that king. And then from there, we move to Psalm 23, where it speaks of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, what a striking contrast. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that exactly how... Jesus is on the cross, Mm. right? He both feels the forsaking of God because all of God's wrath is being poured upon him in his human nature on the cross, and he is incredibly trusting in these things as well, so that it can be said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you read Psalm 22 and 23 together, it doesn't give us any new information, mm-hmm. but it does enlarge the picture, especially what Jesus Christ has done. Right. And then, when we think about the fact that Jesus is ready raised on the third day, and he has the right to enter into heaven. Then we ask the question from Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Well, it's Christ, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of Jacob. And then it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. It's like, Is it not something in Psalm 22, 23, and 24 that gives us a picture of death, resurrection, Mm. and ascension of Christ coming into glory, right?
0: I think it does. I've never read it that way. Yeah, Yeah, and when we
1: read it together, we see it, and it's not to take away at all from Psalm 23 and all the glorious truth that is there. Right, yeah. But it's like, okay, now it's in stereo sound, mm. right? You've got one element, but now you have another and another, and it's just like, this is too much. This is glorious.
0: Wow. Surround sound. hmm <laughs> We spoke a few minutes ago about Psalms being used for counseling. Uh, is there any particular Psalms in Book 1 that we, that we should remember?
1: Um. So I think Psalm 27 would be one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Psalm 27 is just a a, a great psalm of um, just trust in the Lord. Right? It begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So fear and anxiety are something that plague um, followers of Christ all the time. Uh, and those outside of Christ. I mean, fear and anxiety is is something that is there if there's not a security that's found in Him. Uh, And so this is just an invitation to to find that uh, and to trust in Him, right? And one of the things that it says in verse 4 is, One thing I've asked of the Lord, and this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Right? It's like, okay, where is our security found? Where is our hope found? Where do we um, lose the fear of the darkness that is around us? It is in the light of the temple. Right? And so just coming into his presence, uh, the psalm invites us to do that. And one of the things that it closes with is verse 13 it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Um, You know, ultimately, the promise for the believer is resurrection. But we can also trust in periods of despair and doubt uh, that God has good plans for us while we're on this earth right uh, Ephesians 2:10 speaks about the good works that are prepared beforehand for us mm-hmm. now they may not be when we think of good works it may not be comfortable easy enjoyable relaxing vacations right yeah but a good work is a good work mm-hmm. right and even if that means being a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in a hospital bed mm-hmm. it's a good work that God is working for his eternal purposes and for our good Right, and so I just think that we can take these verses and apply them to our heart to battle back the anxieties and the fears of this world. Amen. Right, Psalm 32 is another one. Um, For those who are just wrestling with sin and its effects, um, there have been many times that Psalm 32 has just been a helpful verse to to think through this. Right, Um, I mean, just the opening verse Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So, Paul quotes this in Romans 4 to apply the principle of justification by faith, Mm -hmm. right? That our forgiveness is not based upon our works, but it's based upon God's mercy and trust in Him. And what I think is just amazing about this is verses 3 and following speak to the fact, For when I kept silent about my bones... Or excuse me, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That is, when I didn't confess my sin, it began to have physical effects on me through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so, it reminds us that sometimes our physical effects um, have spiritual uh, hmm. sources. Yeah. Right? And when we can't place why there's just brokenness going on in our life, we can come back to the Lord and confess our sin to Him and entrust ourselves to Him and trust that He may begin to put the pieces together. And in verses like this, it helps us just to put expression to the feelings of just devastation that can be there. And maybe we don't even know Mm -hmm. that there is some sort of deep-seated idol that is in our heart. But oftentimes that idolatry leads to distance from God. God in His perfect wisdom and fatherly discipline disciplines us by making life hard. Yeah. We confess those things to Him, ask Him to shine His light. He exposes that and He begins to work a work of healing in our lives. Hmm. Sometimes it's not that. Right? Sometimes uh, our suffering has nothing at all to do with our sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but sometimes it can. Sometimes yeah. it does. And a passage like this can be helpful here. Uh, And the invitation then is to come before the Lord uh, while he can still be found. Hmm. Uh, And then just one last passage, um, Psalm 34 and 37 are just two kind of shepherd psalms uh, that just minister to the heart. Um, Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Uh, It's just such a comforting word that is there. Yeah, it is. He says in verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of all of them, right? So here again is the converse of what I just said, right? There are afflictions that the followers of God will have, and sometimes those afflictions are there because we follow God, mm-hmm. right? And so God's word here is able to bring comfort in those seasons.
0: So you just mentioned Psalm thirty-seven, yeah. which talks a lot about righteousness mm. and God's care for the righteous. So does this apply to us? Because the scriptures say that no one is righteous.
1: Yeah. So again. The way that the psalmist, and Dave in particular, speaks of righteousness, and the way that Paul will speak of righteousness mm-hmm. aren't always exactly the same. Right, so Paul, in uh, Romans 3, says there is no one righteous, no one seeks God. Interestingly, he's quoting from the Psalms in mm-hmm. that. Right. But the other thing that we see is that righteousness is always granted to the person who believes. Mm-hmm. And so when it speaks of the righteous one, we could almost put in there the righteous one by faith. Mm. Right? It's not the righteous one by works. It is the righteous one by faith. Right? And so we can see that in places in Psalms. It's what we saw in Psalm 32. Blessed is one whose sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. Right? As God grants a status of righteousness based upon their faith in God. Not because they're perfect in their righteousness, but because of their faith, God treats them in that way. And then the righteous trust in God. They do good works. They walk uh, in ways that are not according to foolishness and wickedness, right? That's how the righteous live, and that's how the Psalms define righteous, even though it doesn't mean that they are perfect in every sort of way.
0: Right. I don't know if this is accurate, but this I've, I've always thought this, mm-hmm. is that when I think of the word righteousness, I always uh, think of rightly aligned. So, rightly aligned with God, and I'm and I personally cannot become rightly aligned with God through my own power. That's right. So the way to obtain righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Or the way that we are, that righteousness is given to us or looked upon us by, by the Father is through the lens of Christ. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's the way to best explain it, but that's the way I've always had yeah. it in my head.
1: No, I think that's right. I mean, so rightly aligned, often we'll say right standing. Right. Yeah. right? There's something objective in that reality. Yeah. Right. It's not how I feel. Right? Yeah. It, it is the reality that in my sin before Christ, I was um, <laughs> under His condemnation, mm-hmm. righteously so. Right, right? Yeah. But when Christ saved me, He gave me faith, and that faith in Christ then granted me a status mm-hmm. that was different. I, I now have a right standing earned uh, by Christ, mm-hmm. applied to me, imputed to me um, because of that faith. Uh, and, and now that standing is there even though I'm still learning how to walk out yeah. a righteous life. Right. right? Yeah. So always important to make a distinction between our position in Christ and our condition. We often spend mm. our time thinking about our condition and feeling self-condemned or shameful, but if we're in Christ, our position defines our reality and therefore we're to walk in faith and repentance, walking closer to that uh, position, knowing that one day our position and our condition will match, Right, yeah. but not until the resurrection. <laughs>
0: yeah. So this concludes our discussion of Psalms in accordance with our reading plan. As you follow along with your reading plan, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to, us to discuss, please send them to viamaus at OBC.org. You may hear a response in an upcoming episode.
1: Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church at Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the Gospel-Centered Ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.